This podcast is a proud member of the Teach Better Podcast Network. Better today, better tomorrow, and a podcast to get you there. Explore more podcasts at www.teachbetterpodcastnetwork.com. Now let's get on to the episode. Welcome to the Big Ed Idea Podcast, a podcast for those looking to change the world through education. Each week, we bring you a new idea, however big or bold it is, that has the potential to disrupt, upheave, or remix education. Now, here's your host, my dad, Ryan Scott. Well, here we are again, back for episode 54 um, hello, Big Ed Idea podcast listeners. Thank you once again for clicking that play button and spending your time with me this evening or this morning or whenever you are doing so. Um, you are in for a really, really good episode. I can just tell. Um, I'll tell you, this is a subject that I have really geeked out about um, since early in my teaching career. Definitely a subject I don't feel like we incorporate enough into education. Um, but one that I think if uh, we took um, concrete steps to put some of this stuff into play, uh, you know, I just think that achievement gap could definitely be closed a lot quicker than it is. Um, and so this evening we have, she is a wife, she is a mom, she is the former, she is a former middle school teacher and, and the founder of Achieve It. 360.com. She is the host of the Neuroscience Meets Social and Emotional Learning podcast. Get this, like way bigger than this little old podcast. But she has over 125,000 downloads and a reach of over 153 countries, which I'll be honest, I wasn't even sure there were 153 countries. So without further ado, I appreciate Miss Andrea Samadhi. Thank you very much for being on the Big Ed Idea podcast. Oh, thank you so much, Ryan, for having me. I didn't know there were 155 countries. I had to Google it for sure. I was like, what? how many are there? So like 153 countries, that is, a, so we were kind of talking about this before we got to go, got going. Like how, like, how did you get that many downloads, that many countries? Like what is going on, girl? You know, I think it's the interest in this topic. And I, yeah. I feel like there's a need. People want to know this information. And I found out pretty quickly, like it wasn't right away. You know, you launch something and you're like, your friends and your family are downloading right. and you watch Grandma. the numbers go up and you're thinking, oh, you know, thanks for tuning in. And then, and, and I, I listened to how you launched yours, how your wife bought you the microphone and I actually, my first episode, I grabbed my husband. He came in from a flight from working at LAUSD schools. He had a suit jacket on. I gave him a list of questions and I said, hey, can you just speak into this mic and answer these <laughs> questions? And he's like, yeah, sure. Always wanting to help me out with whatever I'm up to next. But that was how I launched it. It was like, you've just got to get going. And then I really put the effort and focus into getting high quality people. Like my yeah. podcast was, was it was going to be an educational course. A, a publisher was looking at it and it didn't work out with that direction. So I just released it for free. You know, just my best content ever online. Just here it is. And let's see what happens. And and there's an interest in people learning this. So I love, take the fact, I love the fact that you just said you released it for free. Um, you're like the Nikola Tesla of neuroscience and education. So, um, yeah, neuroscience is definitely something, um, you know, a lot of people know neuroscience, uh, maybe the term neuroplasticity, because that's gotten a lot of play lately, especially with the growth mindset and um, growth versus static mindset. But I know you know this, I know this, but some of my other folks might not know. There's so much more when it when you start to talk about uh, neuroscience and cognitive science. And that is the part of education. Um, like I told you, I was a uh, kindergarten teacher for a little while and seeing the deficits of kids coming into our classrooms with working memory gaps and like executive functioning skills. 
So yeah, that is an area that I geek out about and one that I'm super interested in. So I'll, I, I can't tell you, like, I'm super excited to have you on the Big Ed Idea podcast. Oh, I'm, I'm happy to be here. Thanks so much. And, and anytime I can talk about neuroscience, this is what I live and breathe. It's all That's I right. do. That's all she does. Um, okay, so Andrea, the way we kind of do this whole thing is, um, like I was telling you before I hit record, I'm a huge proponent in the connections before content. Uh, just this idea that, you know, especially in the classroom, and, and I'll even go farther than that, pretty much any place you go anywhere, you want somebody to form a connection with you first. Um, my wife and I went out to eat this weekend, and like you can tell a good waiter or a good waitress, um, and it's usually by how they interact with you. Um, I have a, my bank here in town. They, they have this term of craft banking because, you know, they, they're supposed to know you when you walk in and call you by name. And, and um, I think that's in education as well, that um, kids don't care. They say all the time, I've heard this, kids don't care what you know until they know that you care. So um, in an interest to kind of model that, I try to set up the show so that the first part of it, we are getting to know each other a little bit better. Um, and then we can jump into the meat. Got it. All right. Got it. So my first segment is uh, what's up at the Scott house. And so this is where I just talk about what's going on in my life. Um, I love recording on Sunday evenings because it gives me the chance to talk about the weekend. Um, I know folks out there, if you're in education, the week is like a, like a sprint. Um, you know, I'm at, I'm at work every morning from 5.30 till usually four in the afternoon. We've got four kids. My wife works at the hospital. So the week is like a blur. So our weekend is where we get to actually relax and kind of chill out. And so this past weekend, my wife and I went to our favorite city in the whole wide world. That's Louisville, Kentucky. And we went to a concert, um, a little band from Charleston, South Carolina called Shovels and Rope. And we listened to them. It's a wife and... Um, so it's a husband and wife duo that play the piano, the accordion, the harmonica, the um, guitar. And it's real folksy. Uh, we stayed at this awesome hotel down by the river called the Galt House. It's really iconic in Louisville. Um, so that's what we did this weekend. Andrea, what did you happen to do this weekend? Well, before I talk about me, I've got to just tell you, one of my best friends lives in Louisville. Oh, and she's sweet. always... She's always telling me, correcting me with how you say it, like, don't say Louisville. And, right. you know, just when you when you mention it, yeah, Louisville, you got to say it the right way. <laughs> you gotta, yeah, you don't open your mouth when you say it. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So uh, and I saw your pictures, too. I, I was scoping around to see what I could learn Talking. about you before yeah. this podcast. I saw you were working out this morning as yep. well. Yep. Yep. So good for you. So what's been going on over here? Well, I just came off my 10 days of being in, in isolation oh. from having COVID um, oh, fully vaccinated, got COVID. Um, my whoop device, actually a device that I wear picked up that my respiratory rate was off and this was before I had any symptoms. It alerted me. It was like these flashing symbols, oh, like wow. you're sick. And I'm like, no, I don't feel sick. <laughs> but anyway, I went and got a test and I was positive. And so that just kind of messed up a, a good portion a of our, <laughs> our life. Cause you know, I'm the one that takes the kids uh, back mm. and forth to school. Now I'm isolated and I isolated in my office so that I could get some work done. So nobody would have known. I continued doing my podcast. I was like <laughs> dying. I was like, this, I never felt worse. I just had nausea. That's all. That, that was the only symptom I had. No respiratory issues, just massive nausea. But uh, yeah, I'm over that now. And this was my first day hiking. Um, and I haven't taken a day off. I'm not kidding. In two years, it was like, I. it's something I do legitimately every morning since the pandemic hit, I grabbed my husband. I'm like, we're hiking. We're going to get our health good, you know, over the, this pandemic, we're going to be strong. And, and then, uh, you know, when, when it hits you, it's like, holy cow, health has to come first because yeah. it just turns everything upside down when, when we took that time off. But I, I went hiking today for the first time yesterday. 
my husband does volunteer police work when he's not doing his corporate job. He goes out Saturday morning. He left at like five in the morning to go qualify at the gun range. He's got to qualify to yeah, sure. continue to be able to carry. And so he qualified and then went out and he backs up uh, Phoenix police. He just is like a backup person, fully armed. And very cool. He, yeah, he enjoys doing that. And while he's out, I'm at, at home, usually here in my office, working on some sort of PowerPoint for my next presentation on the brain. And I was working on something for emergent bilingual learners on how the brain helps our um, ELL students. Very cool, which uh, two two points of reflection there. Um, I am a hiker. Uh, my dog and I just did, let's see, a month ago, we did a 40 mile hike um, over three days in Southern Illinois, uh, took my backpack and went out and um, had a great, great time other than coming across a um, ragtag band of hippies out in the middle of nowhere. Um, that, that's a story for another time. Um, but other than that, um, I am, let's see, I work at a high school where we have a pretty large EL population. Um, I have been doing, I've, I, I'm pretty good in Spanish, but I've been doing Duolingo every single day since the pandemic hit. And so, yeah, I, I'm right there. You're writing this PowerPoint about EL students learning English. I'm an English dude learning Spanish. So pretty much the same kind of, kind of thing. So. All right. Sounds like we both had very eventful weekends. Mm -hmm. Lots and, to do. And uh, we are on the precipice of another work week. So, all right. I have got two questions for you, and then you are going to flip those questions at me. And uh, just in a, in a in a way to get to know who Andrea is and who Ryan is just a little deeper. Yeah. All right. So my first one, if you, okay, so you're a lot like me you work a lot, you love your work. Um, but imagine you were to give yourself every weekend off, no work, and you could transport yourself anywhere to this one spot every single weekend, where would that be? Uh, it's so funny that you say this because my girlfriend, Kate in England, gives me such a hard time about working. Like she's taking pictures of herself out in the, the hillsides of England walking. And she's like, what are you up to? <laughs> Computer. <laughs> she says that, that in, in the UK, it's actually illegal to work on the weekend. They, they actually, you can send a note to your HR and get them in trouble if, if they ask you questions or want to respond to email on the weekend. So she law. gives us a hard time about that over here. But so, yeah, if I was to do what my friend Kate tells me to do every weekend. We've got this new vacation home. You know, we just uh, bought this place. It's like two hours um, northeast here. We fitted it all up. It's going to be an Airbnb. We actually just rented it out for I Christmas. I saw that. Yeah, I saw that. Yeah. It's wild to get out of the city to get away from your work and now a couple times we've been up there i've done podcasts and brought my stuff and, and my husband's done his work in his area but normally the idea is we go up there and we're working in the fields getting everything ready the kids are different when they're up there in the outdoors they are like sure. no technology you know just the, the girls you know trying to figure out how they're going to participate and make the house look nice for the people who are going to be staying in it you know what are they going to do and we just are different people when we're in the nature outside of of the city so yeah. that's what yeah. i would do if i could just get up there and i know i didn't know that I was gonna love it that much. I was resistant to getting this place. I was like, oh, is there a mountain nearby? What am I gonna <laughs> do on the weekend? You know, how, what am I gonna do for exercise? There's no gyms and I was nervous about it, but uh, you know, there's lots to do. There's hilly areas, the elevation is higher. So I noticed that, you know, if I go for a run, it's harder to run than in sure. the city because of the elevation. So sure. the, there's a lot to do, but I, I would never have known in, unless my husband kind of forced us to let's go look at some places and see if there's a, a place that we could get outside of the city and relax. So what you're saying is it's all your husband's fault. 
Yeah, he's he's always he had a country home when he lived in on the East Coast. He's from New York, New Jersey area. So okay. he had a country okay. home. And and when we were dating, I went and stayed up there. <laughs> All I remember is like mowing the grass with this big mower and and our eyes got all like oh yeah the grass and and i'm like it's all i could picture was oh no he wants us to get a place like that like this is gonna be brutal but yeah it was his idea for sure okay well good all right so if, if i could have it anywhere um i stayed when i was 18 i went to sweden for three weeks and i remember staying at my friend's house in southern sweden just the most gorgeous place i have ever been in my life and that's where i would go like if i had a if i could snap my finger or wiggle wiggle my nose like samantha that's where i would go that's beautiful Absolutely. Love Absolutely. It. all right so um thanksgiving is coming this week um so my next question has to do with thanksgiving what is your go-to turkey day um meal like what is the thing that you'd love to eat for thanksgiving this is funny because I, I I'm not the best cook. Like I can cook food <laughs> that I eat, but try and feed everyone else. Like I, I, I eat certain foods and stick to those certain foods, but uh, you know, I'm not the, I'm not the one cooking the turkey meal. So every Thanksgiving we get it in. Um, we order it out from yeah. our turkey and our mashed potatoes, and we know it's going to be great. It's not going to be burnt or overcooked <laughs> or undercooked or whatever. So yeah, we order it in, and we've already placed our order. I think we're going to be up at the cabin for oh, Thanksgiving. Cool. We're going to pick it up and bring it up there. So it'll be cool. pre-made, and just we have to heat it up. That's it. Okay. So what I'm hearing is you are a fabulous author maybe not so good cook yeah don't don't make me cook for other people i don't <laughs> mind cooking for myself and and you know chicken and turn the chicken into quesadillas the second day but no one else will eat what i make <laughs> for that's okay we all have our areas of expertise yeah. all right so what questions do you have for me my friend all right, so I've got a few. So, okay. so if if I was to find some of your friends over there in Louisville, Kentucky, mm -hmm. and I would grab them all together and I would say, "Hey, what is Ryan Scott known for? Like the people close to you, what would they say about you?" Hmm. Okay. So that'd be a tough one. Um, probably they would know my passion for, um those kids that some other, that maybe some people have uh, wrote off. Um, I really love the kids that nobody thinks are going to succeed. And I love getting them across the finish line. Um, and I love that moment when they succeed and they realize that they have done something that all these other people didn't think they would do. Um, I remember at graduation last year, one little girl that um, was not going to graduate um, we, we got her to graduate and I remember her accepting her diploma from me and then just coming around the, the podium and giving me the biggest hug. And that was just like the biggest feeling. And now this year, she's actually helping me with, um, her cousin who is kind of struggling really, really hard. So she's kind of my person that I'm going to, to help this kid over that hump. So, um, yeah, I think that's what they'd say about me. I hope that's what they'd say about me. I love that. I love looking at those people that you see their potential and it's like they light up the room and they just don't see it themselves. Yeah, because I was there one time, so I get it. Totally get it. I think we have that in common. Yeah. So what's and your I have next another question? question. I yeah. have another one. So I've got I've got three if we can get through them. Absolutely, all. So yeah. I heard you talking about the fact you're reading Brene Brown, and I wonder what about being vulnerable? Would you like other people to know about you? And how have you found being an open door has helped you? Um, so I would like people to know um, vulnerability does not come easily. Um, imposter syndrome is definitely like huge on, on me. I'm definitely a words of admiration guy. Um, so while I love to breathe positivity into everybody else, I'm not very good at breathing it back into myself. And so sometimes 
while I think it's, it's hugely important to let people know your story, um, sometimes it really worries me that by telling my story, somebody else might see something that is, that I did not intend, you know, um, or, or that because I am in a leadership position, um, sometimes people want their leaders to be, you know, Captain America, invincible, no problems, like, but that's just a charade. And so what I worry is, is that people may see me differently because I am vulnerable and honest and talking about the things really that I think everybody is going through. Mm -hmm. It's just, they, they don't like to say it. Yeah, I've definitely come across that on my podcast where I, for the longest time, didn't say certain things until yeah. I thought it's time say that thing and get it yeah. out of the way. And yeah. You said it and the world doesn't close down on you. It's just now people know a whole other side of you. Right, right. You know, and I'll, and I'll be honest, like, I, I kind of worry about, so like, I'm not at the end of my leadership journey. I'm an assistant principal. Um, eventually, I want to have my own school again, um, or be the principal at an alternative school, that type of thing. And and I, what I worry is that by divulging so much about my past, somebody along the way might say that that is a weakness in my leadership. Um, but maybe flipping that around, if 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 that person would think that about me, then do I really want to work with them? Probably, mm -hmm. probably exactly. not. Exactly. So you put the worst case scenario out on the table and then it, it comes off the table. Yeah, well, we try to bring it off the table. Mm -hmm. Okay, so here's another one. So you normally don't share your podcasts, I've heard you say, because you don't want to be braggadocious. And, and you know, I just heard you say that, that yeah. um, one of the past ones that you had, and I think it was Mark Harmon, is that his name on the last episode? Mark Horner, yes. Mark Horner. So um, you said you had to share it. So, you know, when you're doing such incredible work, at what point do you think it's gonna take you to get to that point where you know you have to share every single episode and be braggadocious? Ah, like, like, I don't want to come across, and maybe you understand this, maybe you don't, but I don't want to come across as this cocky guy that is trying to beat my chest by doing this podcast. Um, but what I have found that by doing, this is number 54, I am a remarkably better educator just by talking to other people and hearing other people's ideas. And um, I have taken a little bit from every single episode. Um but at the same time, um, I don't want my people in my building to think that I'm, I, I guess, yeah, braggadocious, like, listen to me. I'm, you know what I mean? Like, there are, Absolutely. there are definitely things that I would love to share with my people. Um, and I will share them with, the, with, with them. Um, but there's a fine line. I don't want to come across as arrogant or pompous or any of that stuff, which I'm not. Um, I don't think I am. Right. I think there was a turning point for me with putting my voice out into the world when I took myself out of the equation, because I remember it started 2008 when I wrote my first book. And when I put it out there, it was like, oh, I'm out there. Now people see me. Yeah. And then I started applying for grants and I had to let everyone know what I was doing, you know, apply for me, vote for me for this grant. And it was like, I was dying all the time, like not wanting people to know, but it was like this, this fine line in time when I took myself out of the equation, it's not about me anymore. It's about the fact that we have this platform that we get to like speak to these people around the world. And, and I, I feel like I can reach out to anybody there, you know, anybody in the world and say, Hey, can you come on my podcast? I want to, you know, interview you and share your ideas with the world. It's not about me. Yeah. It's about the ideas we're sharing. And that's when everything changed. I think that is super, like I needed to hear that. Um, I definitely needed to hear that. And so I am writing that down. Um, 
and I'm going to refer back and I may record that and keep it on my phone for certain times. Um, but yeah, no, you're exactly right. Like this is not about Ryan Scott. This is about the knowledge, the big, big ed ideas. Yes. This, this is about connecting. Like I've said, connecting the passions of one with the visions of another um, case in point, uh, Morgan Cable. She is a, a NASA engineer out in at JPL and I hooked her up with one of my students that is interested in learning about um, astro engineering or something and so she has connected him with these guys at NASA and now my student here in rural western Kentucky has a pipeline to a real life NASA employee um, and that wouldn't have happened if I didn't have this platform so Right. Thank you. thank you. Thank you. Thank you. It's not about me. It's not. And then what happens is like, let's just say you, you keep going with this. There's going to be many more of those and they become so apparent, like, yeah. wow, this happened and that happened. And then this door opened. And that's what I think keeps me going. There's no way I'm ever stopping this. Like the numbers, I always say, as long as the numbers are going up, you know, I'll keep going. But it's just crazy. Those things that happen that catch your eye that this is why you're doing it. Amen. I told, uh, I was on my ed tech life on Saturday and I was talking to him about it. And I said, like, like this podcast has become like my fifth child <laughs> and I'm okay with that. I'm okay with, that. I love all my children. Um, so let's start segueing into, let's start segueing into you, um, who you are personally you know, what your idea is um, about education, all that stuff. And so what we always try to start with first is everybody's got an origin story. Um, you know, how education found you. So what I'm interested in, um, Andrea, how did education find you? Oh, it's like 20, 25 years plus ago. You know, I became a teacher because my oldest sister was a teacher um, it just seemed to be the path. Um, and I, I, I was listening to some of your other episodes. It wasn't an easy path. I wasn't a great student. I had to go and um, bargain to get a couple of my grades in university to be hired to get into the faculty of ed at U of T, University of Toronto, where I did my teaching degree. And so I had to fight for it a little bit. It was like, you know, I had to work hard to get there. And then when I got there, I was hired. It wasn't easy to get a job in teaching back in the late 90s in Toronto. And th these were like pretty good, high paying mm -hmm. jobs in, in Toronto compared to what we might see across the US. It was it was a great position. So when you found one, you were like, yes. Yeah, right. And I was hired you know, by my middle school teacher Mr. Black, who also in his spare time was a Canadian football ref. He was on TV in the black and white stripes. Oh, wow. Roughing and screaming. And he was really cool. And I thought, oh, Mr. Black's going to give me the best job. This is great. I'm set. And he gave me a behavioral class. And there were 30 behavioral kids. And I came out of the faculty of ed with no training yeah, in how right. to manage behavioral kids, none whatsoever. There was this buzzer on the wall that I would push and go like, help, someone come <laughs> help me. And I, I was stressed out. I counted down the days till summer would hit because I just couldn't handle it. I thought this is not what I envisioned my life being. So, um, I kept, I kept this book out cause a book changed my life. My next door neighbor, uh, was the director of sales for this motivational speaker named Bob Proctor. And one day I was sitting on my front doorstep. I always liked sitting in the sunshine as soon as the sun came out in Toronto. Um, I would sit and read books and my neighbor drove by in like this red sports car and then a white sports car. And I was pretty shy. I was like, well, I didn't want to go talk to him and say, what do you do? Why do you have a different color sports car every day? But I just asked him, what do you do for a living? And he gave me this book. He's like, I work for this guy. You should read his book. And so I did. I took this book and I read it in a staff meeting at, in, uh, at the school I was working at. I had my binder up and I was flipping through going, what's in this book? And 
it's called you were born rich but it's not so much for me about financially rich it's about you're born rich in potential and we yeah. all have this potential like we're talking about the kids that we see that just don't know their potential and i was blown away by this book i was like you know this is the secret this is what i want to know and um i quit my teaching job and went to work for bob as uh data entry it was like 10 bucks an hour to do data entry next door to where i lived my dad flipped out because i broke my <laughs> teaching contract yeah right like you're gonna regret this day and benefits and you know i heard him say it and i didn't realize about benefits until like years later yeah when yeah, you know yeah. it really matters but yeah. you know he, for sure he was right but that was the path i chose and i went to work for bob and I didn't really know what my place was until I saw him working with these 12 kids with these concepts that we know to be called social and emotional skills now, like goal setting and how to have a good attitude and um, self-awareness. He was teaching these to 12 kids and then he took these 12 kids up on stage and it like hit me like a brick in my stomach. It was like, this is it. This is why I left because you don't want to fail at what you've trained to do. I couldn't hack it in the classroom, but I knew there was something else that I was meant to do um, with my experience. And so I became the executive director of this youth mentor program. And um, back then, Columbine just happened. Like, oh, yeah. so, bam. My cool, senior you year. Know. Yeah, wow. That was like, I had just started working with these kids with these awareness skills. We created this pin. Um, that we were selling to raise funds for this program. And then we got all these kids across the country to start studying. And I started creating the lessons with Bob, the the speaker. I was like the, the content creator trying to bring in my knowledge of education, his knowledge of what he was doing with adults and trying to bridge the gap. And we created a program for kids and then everything was great i was going to move to the us because he had offices in the in uh, arizona i was going to run the program from arizona i started getting all my paperwork in place and bam september 11th happened and um i had luckily done everything ahead of time so i got here before oh, september good. 11th yeah. had hit but i was here and everything turned upside down the program stopped uh, i had all this curriculum that i'd written that i didn't know what to do with and and it took a while for me to figure it out so 2001 everything's upside down all these great ideas this vision for what i should do with these social and emotional skills that were incredible and so i ended up working for a publisher pearson education okay. and they had this program called Novanet that was going to high school kids to help them with their credit recovery. So they mm -hmm. would learn, you know, try to catch up when they were falling behind. And I kept meeting with the product development team and I'm like, wouldn't it be great if we put these and I didn't call them social and emotional skills. They weren't called that. Costal hadn't created their Costal five competencies yet. So I'm sitting here with these these goal setting, this vision of what I saw. And Pearson, all the product development team was like, this is great, but let's let's test it out and see what teachers think. And I was ahead of the game. I saw this vision and it was too soon. So it didn't work out with Pearson. I ended up leaving the corporate world and I created my own program that I ended up putting into the schools. Uh, it ended up being level up. I took everything I'd learned and I, presented Arizona Department of Ed with what I had done, got chosen. And that's what I did from 2014 to 20 with with our schools, just created content and it went in. And uh, it's a long story from there, but I, it went into the schools and it wasn't perfect, right? Like one school said, it's gotta be brain-based. Where, you know, where's your understanding of the brain and Carol Dweck and growth mindset? And I was like, what? I don't know. I just know what I knew from working with the speaker. Right. And so that's really what brought me to learn how the brain works and, and uh, had to hire somebody with the grant money that I got to learn the basics of neuroscience. So that's really 2014 where my path began here. It's so it's so awesome the path that we take that gets us to where we are. 
um, like at the very beginning of this, there is no way that you would have thought, you know, when you got your first middle school job and cause I was there, uh, I remember my first several years in the classroom being completely the behavior. I couldn't, I didn't know how to deal with behavior. Um, teacher prep programs did not talk about behavior. Um, I was not, I guess I was fortunate to not go into an EBD classroom. Um, although I'll, I'll be honest, my EBD students at the high school level and EBD students at the elementary level have been my favorite or none. Um, but man, I love the fact that you took like your story. I love your story. Um, and I got to tell you, this is really, really funny because you know what the theme of my high school this year is? No. Level up. Oh, wow. And I had zero, like we picked this, we picked this theme back in July and it's really, really, really funny the way things work because now here I am interviewing this lady who created this whole program called level up like that doesn't happen by accident. So um, I just appreciate your journey. I appreciate you. I appreciate you being on tonight. Um, I'm super excited to get down into this. So um, I got to talk- tell you first though, that the title came from a high school student level up. Oh. So like on the back of my book, I have this this girl that did all these drawings and artwork for me. So everything that was created in here, my, my title would have been like really long, like 300 words. My <laughs> husband takes, takes fun of me. He's like, you know, the brain-based science of learning and how we acquire, no, 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 no. It was like really long. And a kid said, no, no it's yeah. level up. Yeah. And, and then here's the artwork that she created that's throughout the book. And she was told in high school that her artwork wasn't right. Like she kept failing her art projects because she did anime and they wanted something else. But uh, I paid her 20 bucks an image with the grant money. You know, I'm like, I I need your artwork because, you know, I need something in here that's created by a teen for a teen. And so she ended up getting a full paid scholarship to the University of Arkansas in a leadership program because of what she did for the program. Hmm. So it's like, it's just wild. Yes, it is totally wild. Totally wild. Okay, so um, let's get into this. What is the problem of education that you see that is directly related to your idea? Yeah, so so I actually just did a panel interview on this. I took all the leaders that I've come across on my podcast and I posed this question. Yeah. Like, what is the problem? And let me just go back to what I saw. Like, so I saw the fact that, you know, teachers weren't trained properly in teachers' college to manage yeah. their classes. And that theme I've heard from all the researchers that are out there, if you listen to their story, they've created what they're doing because they had a similar experience. So teacher training is lacking. And then I heard from some of my leaders in education that were thrown into this classroom and we don't have a way to deal with all the different levels that kids have. So you've got your struggling students, you've got your ones that are bored because they're staring out the window we don't have a proper way to teach our students that are such wide diversity. And then we're not properly teaching our teachers how the brain learns. Yeah, right. Which is a huge thing. Exactly. There's so much missing. And then the whole social and emotional throw that in. So I actually saw the social and emotional first when I was working with those 12 kids and I saw them skyrocket the results. I'm like, yeah, nowhere out there are we pushing our kids and teaching them how to um, be uncomfortable and go and do public speaking. And, you know, all these skills that they have to just get up and do and overcome their fears. It, it wasn't a part of schooling anywhere. They had to learn it outside of school. And so I saw the social and emotional first, and then I saw the neuroscience. Of course, it was pointed out to me when someone said, you need to add brain science. It it didn't come naturally to me. I didn't suddenly go, oh, neuroscience is missing. <laughs> it was shown to me, you're missing neuroscience. You need to understand this. And then 
when I saw how simple it was, how to understand how the brain works, it's not difficult to explain it. But at first glance, you open up like, like Dave Souza's How the Brain Learns book, and you see this big map of memory and short-term and long-term. It is. It's like, what? Yeah. And I had a school that wasn't going to use my program if I didn't do this. And so he's like, you don't have to do this, but I'd like you to write another book that incorporates how the brain learns. And I'm thinking, I have to do this. I can't have a school that, sure. that got grant money that's just going to throw books out. Like I, I yeah. couldn't do that. So I had to figure it out. So that I'd say was the problem. It's I saw the social and emotional. I saw the need for neuroscience. And then like, let's go back all those years before social and emotional learning started going into our schools. I started watching Castle emerge and I don't even know how I knew this, but I was going on these webinars with leaders across the country that I've now brought on the podcast that are good friends of mine that I followed. But back then they're like, you know, relationships are important in schools. And here's what I'm doing in my school. And I started to watch what leaders were doing and I would write down their names and, and then I would follow how the state initiatives were going in, how, you know, in, in the beginning, there were like nine states that had SEL. And now every state Everybody. has some sort of mandate. But it wasn't always like that. It, it, it was like a process that it took for them to mandate these SEL skills in. And so I see the solution of why I created the podcast was because I'd like to incorporate not just SEL in our schools and have simple solutions for teachers on how to implement it, but how to add the neuroscience in, the neuroscience of learning and, and not make it difficult for people to make it simple, accessible and easy to use. Yeah. So, okay. So would you say then that your big ed idea is just the incorporation of the neuroscience aspects into the classroom? The neuroscience connected to SEL. Absolutely. Yes. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. So, okay. I know quite a bit about neuroscience just because I'm a nerd and I like to read that stuff. But if there's people out there, like give us some, you know, um, maybe the 60 second elevator speech of neuroscience and like the big things of neuroscience that you would want classrooms to work on. I think the biggest thing and where I started in 2014, the first idea that I came across, because I was looking like, well, where do I start with this? And it's the idea that when we're stressed, our students become stressed. And so like, imagine me back, you know, in, in my first teaching job and the, the classroom is going crazy. I would turn around and they're throwing their stuff and I turn around and I go, sit down, be quiet because I don't know any better, right? And so that's, what's that doing to their brain? That's increasing their cortisol, making more behavior. So I'd say the first thing is understanding that when I'm stressed, it reflects on them. Amen, and, amen. You know, and I was thinking all the time, what's wrong with these kids? Like, it was how me, <laughs> it was me. Yeah, it, it, it was the craziest thing to go, oh, <laughs> yeah, I get it. It was all me and not them whatsoever. I could have had a whole different um, experience if I had underst understood this. And like Dr. Bruce Perry talks about with his book, what happened, it's not, what's wrong with you, it's what happened to you and take each individual student and understand their story and maybe why, because I remember every single one of their names. Why was Hu Sheng so crazy? Well, if I had just uncovered how much Hu Sheng loved movies, I could have incorporated that into my lesson a little bit, like maybe bring him up, make him feel special. Like, oh, Hu Sheng, what movie did you watch? Or, you know, Denisha, she was always like bickering back and forth with another kid, like maybe bring in fashion or something because she always had some sort of fancy shirt on and bring that in. I, I don't know what it is, but I could have used those lessons of who they were, their individual stories a little bit better. Man, I mean, I remember, I remember this very, very vividly. I remember I came to this realization when I was teaching um, that whatever energy that I was bringing into the classroom that morning was the way my kids were going to behave. Um, and it took me, I'll be honest, it took me about five years to figure that out. But once I figured it out and 
uh, you know, I'm not saying that you have to, for anybody out there, I'm not saying like it's a dog and pony show when you come in and into your classroom in the morning. That's not what I'm saying. But, you know, if you have had a rough morning, like, let's be honest, if we're parents, we have rough mornings getting our kids ready for school. But if we bring that negative energy into our classroom, it's very, very easy for that energy to be uh, transferred into our students. Um, what I have learned over the years is that if I have a really rough morning, I would walk into my classroom and I say, hey, guys, give me five minutes. And it was a crazy morning at the house. I, I know you know what I'm talking about because I wanted my students to understand that that's how life is, you know? And um, so, yeah, I really like that first, that really first, that first part of neuroscience is, um, would you say executive functioning and working memory is also a part of the neuroscience? Yeah, definitely. So then when I started going into the schools with the stuff that I had created and um, with the level up program and working with high school students, I started to notice, so remember that high school students, executive functions aren't fully formed. So their brains aren't fully developed yet. And I would go in with a lesson and say, okay, let's talk about, you know, setting goals. And I would have this worksheet and I would put it in front of 30 kids. And I'd say maybe only three of them would start working on this worksheet because no one had ever asked them, where are you and where are you going? That's a big question for kids. And if they haven't ever thought about it, they're like, what do you mean, where are we? What do you mean, where are we going? And, and they could understand, well, we wanna graduate, but what's next? If no one's ever asked you that, like I remember the first time that that speaker asked me, Andrea, what do you really want? And it was some sort of change in education. That's what I really wanted yeah. back then. I didn't know what, um, but, if you've never been asked, what, what do you want, Ryan Scott, with your podcast? What are you doing? If no one's ever asked you that, you don't think it. And so that's executive function. And, and we can't expect our kids to have that. They need guidance from us. And, and that's why our kids need us. Like they're acting like they're all, you know, ready for life and everything. But until they're age 25, they need the guidance from the adults. That's why adults need to have their kids surrounded by many different adults, not just mom and dad, but bring them out and have them interact with other adults to challenge their brain and their mind and their thinking and get them involved in sports and and get those those functions working because it's it, they're not going to do it on their own. Yeah. Yeah. Two takeaways or two reflections on that point. Um, in my opinion, this whole um, achievement gap that we talk about in education will never be closed until we start to address the social and emotional intelligence gaps that kids come to into our buildings with. Um, and case in point here in Kentucky, 22% of our students live in poverty. Um, we know that students that live in poverty come to us with, well, you know, the million word gap, just, just about the speaking gap, but then there's also the emotional gap. There's also the, uh, like you said, there's just this whole, um, there's, there's this whole other realm that education does not talk about. Um, I don't know if it is a carryover from No Child Left Behind, where it's, it's still all about the content, um, but I've said this multiple times, I don't think school is about the content anymore. Um, I think the content is the delivery model of life for our students. Um, I've talked about this before that for a large majority of our students um, and probably an even larger majority of our adults, school actually raises our kids. Um, if we really think about it and we really want to get honest about it, you know, I probably see my kids an hour and a half a night. Um, by the time we do dinner and baths and bedtimes and all of that stuff. So, so who is really in charge of teaching these executive function? Who's in the, teaching these cognitive things? Who's in charge of teaching these neuroscience, SEL things? Um, it's the teachers. And for way too long, like you said, teachers have not had the tools to do so. 
And there's a little bit of, of the family involved too. Like I, I know the pressure that's on these teachers to do it all. And, you know, now we've got another thing, social, emotional to do. Um, but I remember there was this one guy that I interviewed, Hans Apple. He oh, has, yeah. you, you might know him. I have heard of him. You know, he, he was phenomenal. It was probably one of the first interviews that I actually like teared up just because his story is so heart-wrenching that he would go to school and school was the place where he would escape from his awful life at home. And he found his path. So, you know, we know that kids can have these awful life situations and then become amazing people in the community and do amazing things. And that was surely his story. Um, so he found his place in school when he didn't have it at home. And so there's there's that part of it that, you know, you just don't know when your kids are sitting in, in class, like what has happened to them before and what impact you could be having as you're teaching your lesson and, you know, changing somebody's thought process of how they're gonna be for the rest of their life based on what you teach them. Absolutely. Um, I remember when I was a kindergarten teacher um, in a very high poverty schools, um, I did this thing where we called it the attention challenge, not the best, like most um, creative name for this. But what I was trying to do is teach my kids how to pay attention um, because they don't. I mean, that's that's a skill that you have to learn. Um, and it's definitely especially if you have, have students that come to your classroom without prior school experience, the ability to attend to one thing is not a normal thing. And so what we did um, every morning, they'd sit on the rug, they'd look at me and I'd start a timer and we started at 30 seconds. And if they could keep their eyes on me for 30 seconds, um, the boys got a shot of uh, Axe body spray and the girls got a shot of some perfume I had stolen from my wife. Um, and then over the course of several weeks, we would add 30 seconds or a minute. And we went all the way up to their age, just because that's how long you should be able to pay attention. So when my five-year-old, six-year-olds were able to sit on the floor, look at me for six minutes, now I felt that I could start to hold them accountable for actually paying attention. Um, but that is a skill and a skill that sometimes we overlook. It is. It is. And I've got some thoughts, but none of mine would fly in the classroom because <laughs> I, I would have been fired if, if some of the things that um, that I did with my students that, that I thought about. So back then I did this thing with attention with a candle flame. And it's because it's all I knew. If you yeah. look at a stare at a candle flame long enough, you can increase your focus and your concentration when you actually get the flames to go towards you. It's like a, it's the so only way I knew how to. That's a mind how. trick. It's like a, a Jedi yeah. mind trick. It is. So I took that to my students. Now, not knowing my my classroom was above the chemistry lab, I could have blown up the whole school. Whoops. So anyway, I, I, I quit in time, I would have been fired for sure if they knew I had a candle flame and I had the kids uh, in all in a circle and we're all working one at a time on how to focus on that candle flame. <laughs> Definitely do not do that in a school. Um, there's got to be a different way, but I only knew about the candle flame. No, but I mean, it is it is a tangible strategy that students could learn one of those things that they need in order to be successful in your classroom. Um, we are really good at asking our teachers to teach, to be engaging and to create these relevant lessons. And but at some point, our students also have to be able. I don't know the way to say it if our students are lacking in some of those neuroscience skills, it doesn't matter what the teacher is doing at the front of the classroom. Is that, would you agree with that, that statement? Yeah, because it, sometimes you feel like you want them to do what you want them to do, right? You've got your curriculum that you've got to get across, but 
like you said, there's so much more. You've got to have the relationship first before we're learning anything. And if some of these things are not in place or, you know, if you've just not taken the time to make that connection, the learning doesn't happen. The students have to feel safe first in your class. That's that's the first way that learning happens. But if we don't know how learning happens, how, how does learning happen in the brain? If we don't know that, um, how, how do we help our students be better readers? There's a few little tips that we should know about how the brain learns to read. If we don't know these little things, we're missing out ourselves and the things that we can share with our students. Amen. So, okay. So I'm going to be very selfish here and uh, that's okay because this is my podcast. So if you were to give us three simple strategies that we could use in our classroom tomorrow, because it's Sunday night. So Monday morning, we want to walk into our classroom and, and just be a little bit better using what you believe um, and what you know to be true. Um, what would three simple strategies be? I'm going to go all the way back to self-care for a teacher because okay. because the, uh, I remember it being so fast-paced. We didn't even have time to go use the restroom. It was sure. like and and you and I sit in on my my kids class and and it's like spelling test and, and you've got to get through so much. I start with self-care for them that there's nothing wrong with giving themselves a break when things get overwhelming that they can figure out what they need to do or ask for help. I remember when I was doing a presentation in Toronto schools, they had each other's back in these schools. Like if someone wasn't feeling right, they would go to another person and they would cover for them somehow. It wasn't a problem to say, hey, I need some support. Can you yeah. come cover me? But when I was teaching, it was like a big sign of weakness. If you couldn't hack it, it was like, oh, she's like her first year. She's like drowning. Look at her fail. And it, it just was was the Not wrong thing, yeah. you know? So so start off with, is, is there a support system in your schools right now for when you don't feel right, when you need to step away? Is there something like that? Um, and then creating some sort of thing for teachers that that maybe could they go on walks at lunch you know i don't i don't know if if you do anything like that but they've shown just how much more effective you can be when you can get outside but i, I know sometimes you just can't and so could you get to a window could you find other ways visualization could you take a minute i remember in toronto when it was freezing it was like a big snowstorm outside if you have some way to visualize something like a cactus uh, for for me i would picture a cactus and imagine the desert of arizona or even some sort of pineapple sunscreen that i could put on in the winter those dark days when you know everything's dismal and you just don't feel right do you have any sort of strategy for yourself not just your, you know yourself to make yourself feel better, but then uh, take that to the students and they do something called an amygdala first aid station. So when your students are feeling off, could you send them to the first aid station instead of kicking them out um, where they would go and put lotion on when their behavior is off? Um, Amygdala first aid station. First aid station. So just uh, Lori Desitel came up with this, and hmm. and I actually used it in in a high school class. So I would come in and I would have to teach the lessons, and and always someone's gonna be like acting out, and the teacher's like, oh, you know, Miss Samadhi's here. You know, you go to the office. Right. right. You know, that was the first plan of attack it was like get the kid out of here who's misbehaving and i'm like hey instead of sending that guy to the office and they're all laughing I'm like, can you go to the amygdala first aid station that i've set up over here and find like a lotion or something to calm yourself down and they're like looking at me going what now i still hear from these students they still send me messages on facebook like we miss those classes those are the best and and at the time you're like just trying something out let's try Dr. Desitel's first aid station idea, but it worked. It was like, you know, for different age levels, you can have different things. You can have pillows for them to cuddle, just a way for them to break free instead of the traditional way of 
um, punishing a, a kid is to kick them out and send them to the office where they get like another mark on that goes towards their, you know, their behavior. Instead of having that, can we somehow sidestep it with an understanding of how their brain works and calm them down? And and they're all laughing them, and. I was yeah, just going to say teaching them self-regulation. Exactly. That's exactly it. It's just another way. And, and I'm telling you is all I did was I cut out a first aid box and I put like this cardboard box and then I had these things like lotion or peppermint, yeah. you know, we all, we all use it, you know, just bring it to the classroom and see if you can use it for your, your students. And so, so self care, uh, for yourself, um, and then for your students in amygdala first aid station and to have something in your school where you have a committee where self-care is put first, where it's okay for teachers to ask for help or some sort of system that you know that it's okay if you're off, if you have a, if you need those five minutes, do you have someone, because sometimes you don't, you, you have to go in front of the class, you don't have that five minutes. How could you find another person to somehow relieve you in those five minutes that you might need? Those are those are very very good strategies. The the self care I've heard a lot about. You know, we we talk we we're, we're talking a lot about that type of self care stuff. Um, I hadn't heard of the visual. Well, I had, but not in the education realm. So the visualization um, definitely makes sense. The amygdala first aid station sounds a lot like something I did in my own classroom. Um, I called it the chill zone, and um, kids were allowed to be in the chill zone for five minutes at a time. Anytime they wanted to go back there. So if they were getting frustrated on an assignment, they just needed five minutes to chill out. Um, maybe they were getting upset about something. Maybe they just needed to relax. Maybe, maybe they just needed a five minute power nap. Um, I use that with my own elementary students. And uh, yeah, it was really awesome. It's, you know, based around those idea of teaching the, the self-regulation. Um, love that, love that, love that. Um, so man, I love those strategies. Do you have any more that you could drop on us before we start to wind it down? I think so. Uh, self-regulation is a big one. Um, self-awareness and, and I'm always going right back to the teacher because that's where my lessons were. So sure. self-awareness is another one when things are getting rough are you aware of your reason or your identity for how you fit into the school so sometimes you know just knowing our why like why are you mm -hmm. getting up and coming to school every day like that's an important one to visit every year because it might change it might change like when we have that vision on purpose it's easy to get up every morning when things are difficult um and you drive to school when it's dark and come yeah. home when it's dark and yeah. and the extra assignments that you have to mark on the weekends and the nighttime and and so just knowing why you're doing this like what is your purpose with it and then what you're doing right now is phenomenal because i always looked for people like you when i was in the publishing world um, when I was walking in the classroom selling stuff, I would always look and see, you know, who's got a book in them? Who's got, and now this was before I was a podcaster, but who could do a little bit more with their knowledge? Because there's phenomenal teachers out there that you're seeing, that yeah. you're one of them, and then you're interviewing them. They're all over the place, and then give them a platform to continue to be more and do more and share more because we all have this potential that i saw that i wasn't using we all have it and if you can bring that out in you know others around you then then everybody just flies a little bit further and faster amen amen bring up the people around you um so miss andrea i'm going to start to wind us down we have talked about a lot of really, really good stuff. Um, you know, I have always been a, not always, I'm not going to say that. Um, SEL is definitely something I am very passionate about. Um, but I have also been passionate about the cognitive stuff, about the um, neuroscience stuff. But I, I'll be honest, I've never thought to smush them together. Um, and, I, and I really think that what you're talking about is like this really good merging of the neuroscience and the SEL 
um, into what we should be doing in our classroom. But what I'm hearing is these are some easy things that we can mesh into our classroom as well. Um, so if there's people out there that want to learn more about these strategies, how might, how might they do so? Yeah, they can go just Google me first and my website achieveit360.com comes up right. and it's the, the website that links directly to the podcast. You can follow me on any sort of podcast platform. Just Google me or however you say it, look me up in <laughs> iTunes, put my name, put neuroscience podcast anywhere I come up. Um, it, it's been quite a ride with the, the whole podcast journey for sure. It it's easy to find me. Absolutely has. Okay. So Miss Andrea, um, I'm going to leave us with a quote. Um, well, no, before I tell you, before I do that, I just want to tell you, thank you. Um, thank, you. thank you for saying yes to my little bitty podcast. I appreciate it. Um, I appreciate you lending your voice. Um, definitely. There was a reason you left the classroom 20 odd years ago. Um, whatever you know whatever the reason was at that time for leaving was exactly the right reason if you hadn't the world would not be able to hear you now where you are now um so thank you thank you for your journey thank you for your knowledge thank you and it's not a little bitty podcast you're doing phenomenal things i love the people you've been interviewing and and i think uh, you're right on the mark with what you're doing thank you thank you i appreciate that all right, to my big Ed Idea listeners, um, like I always do, I'm going to end you with a quote on dreaming, um, because look, the world does not change unless somebody dreams it up first. Um, and so here is the quote, do not call it a dream, call it a plan. And so with that, just like John Janoski always said, I will see you in the funny paper. For hanging out with me here on the Big Ed Idea Podcast. My hope is that this would be a conversation, a meeting of the minds and a space for one person's vision to inspire the passions of another. However, none of this can happen without you. So let's be change agents together and build a better future. Please subscribe or reach out to me on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. Come to the conversation with your passion. And together, let's build something awesome. Until next time, I'll see you in the funny paper.